We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to the Bear Report Podcast with Zach Pearson and Aaron Lemming, providing extensive coverage of the Chicago Bears for the Bear Report website. The podcast is powered by Overtime Media. Now, here's Zach and Aaron. And welcome back to another edition of the Bear Report Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Pearson. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Aaron Lemming. Aaron, man, how are you doing? It feels like uh, we haven't talked in a while. It's been, it's been a week, I think. Yeah, man, it's it's been hectic. It's been a, been a hectic week. I mean, it, it was kind of one of those things where I think we all kind of felt the same way. It was like draft started on Thursday for everybody but the Bears, it felt like. And, you know, obviously had to wait until decently late on Friday, you know, to kind of get things started. But I think overall, I think I, I think the draft went pretty well. I mean, obviously, we'll, we'll definitely get in that. We got a got a loaded loaded podcast, but it, it feels kind of weird because now, I mean, we're kind of looking towards rookie minicamp that's coming up this weekend, and then we got some OTAs, and we got, you know, the minicamp at the, the what, mid part of June, and then we got that little bit of a break. So uh, I hope this excitement kind of holds us off uh, until, what, the end of, end of July when, when training camp really kicks off. Yeah, these are these next three practices here this weekend will be, um, I believe, the first. I believe they're counted as the technically the first ones of the 2019 season, um, even though it is just rookies. Uh, yeah, we'll get our first look at some of these rookies and the undrafted free agent class that uh, Ryan Pace did bring in. Um, you know, it's kind of hard with the rookie minicamps because, yeah, you're looking at all the draft picks honestly and 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 what they got, but it's not like you know they're practicing against you know other members of the team essentially there's only you know they're not the bears aren't going to sign everyone for the regular season so it's kind of just rookies going against rookies and um, i'm actually curious to see the rookie kickers that they're bringing in it's like a battle royale with i believe there's going to be now including the four three or four signed on the roster is going to be a total of eight kickers competing for the job 
Yeah, well, and that's a that's the interesting thing. I mean, as is, is we talk about minicamp, I mean, obviously you're going to have their, their draft picks. You're going to have their undrafted signings, their priority undrafted signings. You're going to have a ton of tryouts. Then you're also going to have some veterans uh, that are going to come in for, you know, on a tryout basis as well, on top of the fact that they have some players on the roster, including the four kickers that they technically have signed, including the one undrafted free agent, where they haven't played an NFL game, so they are actually eligible for rookie minicamp. So there's going to be probably seven, eight guys currently on the roster right now for the Bears that were on the roster before the draft that'll probably be there as well fighting you know fighting for the roster spot as well so I mean it's it's going to be a packed weekend in terms of who they have on the field and all the other fun stuff so I mean it it definitely should be interesting we're going to see a lot of roster movement over the over the next week or so and then it kind of kicks off the I guess you could call it the third wave of free agency where you may see some some veteran guys, uh, you know, get cut and, you know, maybe maybe the Bears look into some of those cheaper options that they could sign for vet minimum. Yeah, that's a good point, because, you know, the free agency kind of takes a break when, um, you know, the NFL draft goes on. But, yeah, there's there are going to be some veteran guys. Um, there was a report today that the Bears brought in Kayvon Webster um, for a workout ahead of the rookie minicamp. So, I mean, probably expect a couple more. There's there's still some big free agent um veterans out there that are unsigned not just you know players we saw early in free agency but some veterans have actually been in the league um aaron said before though we do have a pack show today we're going to talk about the draft um we have a couple guests on we're going to be joined by um lead draft analyst of winnie city gridiron ej snyder he's going to kind of break down the bears draft for us um alex halstead who covers iowa state for 24 7 sports uh will be in to talk strictly Everything David Montgomery because that's who Bears fans appear to be talking about with their uh, third-round pick following the draft. Before we get into all that in today's latest Bears news, we're going to take a quick break um, to hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers. Outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And Aaron, um, you know, we've been talking about the draft. It just happened, but the Bears also had some other news today. Um, It was expected because Ryan Pace did confirm the Bears were going to do this, but the Bears have officially picked up the option for Leonard Floyd, um, you know, going into the fifth year. What were your thoughts on that um, initially? I think it's, it, it was predictable. Um, it, you know, it's going to be interesting because, I mean, you're talking about a guy in Leonard Floyd who was a first-round pick. Uh, personally, my, my personal opinion, I don't think he's really lived up to the hype yet. He hasn't been a bad player, don't get me wrong, but he's got 15 and a half sacks in, in, in three years, and – durability outside of this last year has been somewhat of a concern. So I think this, this fourth year is kind of a prove it deal because the one thing about the fifth year option that, that people should know about is that yes, it is, uh, you know, kind of built in for more team control, but let's just say he has a bad year. He stays healthy and he can pass a physical. Um, I mean, they could very easily rescind that fifth year option and he could end up becoming a free agent or the more likely scenario is maybe they negotiate a deal with him, uh, you know, an extension, three, four year extension, um, you know, during camp or whatever it may be into the season. 
and then they don't really have to worry about using that fifth year option. The, the thing about the fifth year option, especially with Floyd, is the fact that it's going to be $13.22 million. I mean, we're talking, I mean, that's a sizable chunk of money, and it's a sizable chunk of money for a team like the Bears who aren't really that cap fluid right now. I mean, obviously they got, I think they have right around $16 million, uh, maybe closer to 15 after this draft class. I mean, you're going to have a little bit of money moving around here and there. You're probably going to be looking at, you know, cause they're, they're probably extend white here. So I would, I would assume that they'll probably roll over eight to $10 million in the next year. The cap will jump up a little bit too, but I mean, you're talking probably five to $6 million is a rough estimate at this point that they're going to be moving into next year. If Floyd plays on that fifth year option. So it's it's one of those situations where you're paying Khalil Mack a ton of money. His cap hits are going to jump up tremendously because of how the contract was structured. I mean, he played off the, his fifth-year option last year, and then obviously we we know what happened this year with a with a little bit of a restructure that they did with the bonus. So, I mean, I I, I have a feeling that he's either going to have to play really well or they're going to have to sign him to a team-friendly extension. I think this just kind of extends them and gives them another year uh, just in case they don't have an option, just in case, you know, they're still not sure about him. But it's to be expected, but it's still – it's a little dicey. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It's it's going to be interesting to see if he's going to be here for the long term. I think right now it makes sense because you're going to go into this year um, with Floyd and Mac, and then going into the fifth-year option – um, that's two pretty good edge rushers. But like you said, last year was the first year, I believe, that he's played or started or played in all 16 games for the Bears. He's dealt with a couple injuries in his first three years. But, you know, 15 and a half sacks, I believe five, one third, five, five and a half of them are against the Packers. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see a little more production. I'm with you. He hasn't really lived up to that first round top, top pick um, type category. But to be honest, I mean, does he really have to? It'd almost work out better for the Bears if he was just stayed consistent so that they wouldn't have to pay him this long-term contract with their cap situation going into the future because, like you said, that money for Khalil Mack is going to come back around eventually. You can't just keep putting it off. So I was fine with the move today. We all should have expected it. Ryan Pace did, did pretty much confirm it. It is, um, I think it was end-of-season uh, meeting with the press with the media. So... Nothing too shocking. Um, it was also a busy day at Hallis Hall because I believe it was just literally like an hour later after they announced the uh, Leonard Floyd extension that or the fifth year option that they've officially hired Brad Childress um, to their offensive coaching staff. We kind of saw this one coming because the news kind of broke out before. But in your eyes, Aaron, I mean, yeah, this is this is news. It's a big signing. What do you think Brad Childress is going to bring to this? this franchise along, you know, joining Matt Nagy's staff? Well, I think what it's going to do is, is I think it's going to bring a little bit more stability. I also think it's going to help Nagy in the fact that he's not just an offensive coordinator. So obviously, you know, like John Fox famously said, you know, he's, he's not an offensive coordinator. He's not a defensive coordinator. He's not a special teams coordinator. He coordinates all three. And that's really what this is with Matt Nagy. I mean, so you get another guy that you trust, you get a guy that he highly respects. So he, he can help run the offense. He can help do things with the offense, whether it's installations, whether it's in season to where Matt Nagy can put a little bit more focus on the rest of the team outside of just the offense. I mean, this is year two of this offense and it's year two for Trubisky. So, I mean, the, the he should let up a little bit on the reins anyway, but this is kind of one of those things where things worked out well last year, but you got a new defensive coordinator, Chuck Pagano. Uh, you know, you need to be kind of overseeing the entire team, all 53 players at this point. And I think that's kind of the focus here. So I'm, I'm more curious to see how long Childress is going to stay because 
you know, he, he pretty much wanted out of Kansas City. So he left Kansas City. He comes in as a consultant for, you know, the, the, the beginning of last year and the training camp and all that stuff to help install the offense with the Bears. Then he goes to, I, I want to say it was the, the AAF, and he was going to be the head coach with the AAF. And then last minute he bailed on that, took a little bit of time off, and then he came back. So it seems like he's a little un, you know indecisive. But I do think that this is a move that can make sense for a few years at least to help Matt Nagy kind of get his bearings as a coach. Because just because he's in his second year doesn't mean that he's got everything figured out. And there's still going to be stuff that's going to need to have to happen and I think that's why Childress makes a lot of sense in this in this uh, situation. Yeah, he uh, quit. He was the head coach of the Atlanta Legends in the AAF, RIP, um, and quit literally before the first game. Yeah, he was with the Bears a little bit and then went to the AAF, quit, short, short shelf life there. But, yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see if he makes it throughout the entire year. I mean, would it, would it completely shock you if he bailed out on another opportunity? Not at all. It, it wouldn't because, I mean, he's older. I mean, he's he's pretty much all but retired a few times. So I, I think if they get one good year out of him, I think that'll be good. And I think, again, this is this is going to be a, a big year for Nagy just because things are going to be there's, – there's going to be a wide lens focus here on, on this entire team. And he's going to start acting as more of a head coach than just the, the offensive coordinator and just, you know, giving Trubisky confidence, just focusing on Trubisky. So I, it, it makes complete sense. And I think it's a good move. So, and I think it's also going to help maybe with some of the, uh, the decisions that Nagy makes in the game. Cause Childress was a head coach at one point. He wasn't a very good head coach, but he was a head coach. So he has this experience and he has a close relationship with Nagy. So, I mean, I don't think this hurts by any means. I don't know how much it's going to help, but I, I, I don't think it's one of those situations where, uh, you know, it's it, it's going to be a negative impact by any means. I'm glad you also brought that up, too, because I, that's a, that's a kind of an interesting aspect to this whole thing. Um, like you mentioned, Matt Nagy's going into his second year, but the thing about the NFL is, is there's so much on your plate, and it's never you never can catch up, it feels like, for a head coach. There's always going to be new things out there, new situations, new scenarios. So it'd be nice to have a former head coach um, to kind of be there with you to kind of give you some advice when you do need it and kind of serve as that, you know, type of consultant role in a way um, for, especially for a young head coach. And Childress is a local guy still, I think he's from Aurora. I think he's got a house around the Chicago area anyway. So we'll see how long it lasts, but um, yeah, you're in the big news uh, of the week, obviously the NFL draft, uh, the bears did not pick on Thursday. We pretty much just sat at Hell's hall and did nothing. Watch the draft. Um, and then Friday was a little interesting because, you know, we shouldn't have been shocked at all. No one should say, should, you know, should be, oh, I was shocked Ryan Pace traded up because, I mean, he's he's made a trade now nine times in his brief career with the Bears as general manager. Um, I believe it's six of them he's traded up. You did an article on it right before the draft. He moved up and took David Montgomery in the third round. Um, it was a running back. You know, you and I both said on our draft preview podcast that, you know, we we wouldn't be shocked if we took a running back in the third round. I guess it was more me. I thought they were going to take one in the fourth round. Um, but you know, right away, I'm I'm kind of I'm fine with the pick. I understand it. I think you know I didn't know a lot about Montgomery, but I've done a little homework on him. And from what I've seen on tape, I love him. I, I I see the comparisons to Kareem Hunt. The speed isn't what necessarily you want it to be, but that's not a big problem for his game. I think he's a good pass catcher. Um, I think he's he's a hard-nosed runner. He keeps his, his feet moving, hard to break down. Well, or hard to bring down, I'm sorry. Uh, what was your kind of reaction when the Bears did make that trade up to go grab him? 
Well, I think it all kind of started off with the way that the running back board fell. I didn't have a first-round grade on a running back. I kind of expected that Josh Jacobs would go at the end of the first round. Actually went a little higher than I thought he would. Uh, the, the Raiders actually took him with with the Bears pick that they got for Khalil Mack. So, and then you, you see the second round go on, and obviously we'd heard some things. I fully expected that uh, – that Darrell Henderson would be the second running back off the board and he would go early in the second. He didn't. He ended up going in the third. But you had a situation where when Miles Sanders, who went to Philadelphia, uh, side note on that, obviously, you know, all these people who are like, well, the Bears traded away Jordan Howard and doesn't make any sense why Philadelphia would trade for him. And obviously he's going to be the lead back over there. I think we, we, we saw exactly what Philly's plan was, and that's that they want Jordan Howard as the third down back, the, the Garrett Blunt type player. But Miles Sanders, I mean, they wouldn't have taken Miles Sanders uh, when they did in the second round if they had the utmost confidence in Jordan Howard to be a complete running back and be their starting running back. And then obviously that, – And that hurts. Kind of, sorry to interrupt you, but that kind of hurts the Bears' chances of, of that six-round pick. I think, yeah, it's a six-round pick going to a fifth, absolutely. I mean, at this point in time, you might as well just pencil that in as a six-round pick and call it a day because I don't think it was a high chance anyway that he was he was going to produce enough to be able to – that's the thing, too, is like I've talked to a few different people that are tied with the Eagles. He is not a lock at all to make this roster, I, and I think that, that that needs to bear repeating for some people. I'm not saying that he won't, but I'm, I'm just simply saying if he comes out in training camp, doesn't look good, doesn't fit – there is no guarantee that Jordan Howard makes the final 53-man roster for Philadelphia or stays all year. I mean, that's just where they're at. They have a lot of different options. But kind of getting, have, I think they have like six running backs now. Yeah, they, they have a ton of guys, you know. So it, it is what it is. But we'll, we'll get past that and we'll, we'll move on in terms of, you know, what happens. So you had two running backs go at that point, and then the third round happens, right? And out of nowhere – the Los Angeles Rams, who have Todd Gurley, who also has knee issues, trade up, and they take Darrell Henderson. I'm starting to think, oh, wow, Darrell Henderson might actually fall to the Bears, and I may have to eat my words on Twitter after saying he wouldn't get anywhere near 87, which Mel Kuyper said he would be there at 87, and he got pretty close. So you saw the Rams take him, and then all of a sudden it was a situation where it was like, okay, you know, there's a few teams in front of the Bears right now that could definitely take a running back, and it's like you're kind of close. You made it to the third round. You're getting in the middle of the third round. You still got David Montgomery on the board. For me, I had – it was Josh Jacobs, Darrell Henderson, uh, Miles Sanders, and David Montgomery, and those guys were all very closely graded for me. They all had second-round grades, I think. I mean, they were all separated by – by a point, point and a half. I mean, that's that's how close I had all these guys graded. It was mainly stylistic uh, preferences to as to who you wanted for the most part. And then all of a sudden you see Ryan Pace fly up. He trades up with New England. And I think, you know, a lot of people's first reaction was like, okay, well, this, this could make some sense. I wonder who it's for. And obviously it ended up being for David Montgomery. I wasn't a big fan of the trade value. I won't lie about that. Uh, I think that Ryan Pace gave up a lot. Uh, I don't agree with the theory that he panicked. I really don't. I think that he saw the way things were going, and I think that kind of confirmed itself with the next pick. The, the team that they traded up in front of, the Bills, ended up taking Devin Singletary. So obviously they had a hard line of who they thought were within that first tier of running backs, and I think David Montgomery was there, and they went up and took him. Yeah, I agree with that too. I don't think he um, panicked at all because if you look at that, there was a string of running backs getting ready to be taken. You didn't want to be, you know, that team that that's looking for a running back and then all of a sudden your top options off the board right away. 
Um, you know, day three, the Bears did address offense again in the, with their fourth round pick. They took Riley Ridley, the brother of Calvin Ridley, um, former first round pick. And we should we just shouldn't be shocked anymore if Ryan Pace is going best player available. He said this multiple times. He sticks to it. It's always best player available for him, um, no matter the need. And and I think that showed with the Riley Ridley pick in the uh, fourth round on day three. I like the pick. I think you add another dynamic to this offense with another receiver. It's going to be a stacked wide receiver room. But if anyone can work with that and spread the ball around, I think it's perfect for Matt Matt Nagy and his offense on what he wants to do. I don't think you have to have that true number one wide receiver that's going to get you the 1,000 yards when you can have multiple guys are at 500, 600, 700, 800 yards. Um, I understand the pick. I wasn't mad. I saw – you know, some quick reaction to it on Twitter. Oh, why are we taking offense? We need, you know, defensive backs. Um, the pace did go defensive back. He went two defensive backs um, on day three, a six-round pick in Duke Shelley, and then also um, a uh, seventh-round pick. Um, oh, God, help me with the name. I completely blanked on the name. Uh, Stephen Denmark. Stephen yeah. Denmark, yes. Yeah. Out of uh, Valdosta State, uh, small school guy who played wide receiver, didn't play – actually cornerback until um, his final year there. So I, overall, I was pretty impressed with Ryan Pace's draft. I I understand the whole it's too early to grade everything, but I'm, I'm fine with it. I think he addressed the needs that he had to. And then he turned around and, and pretty much early on hit a home run with the undrafted free agent class. Well, yeah, and I, and I think obviously we got, got a lot to unpack there. But I, I think – let me just say this about the the Riley Ridley pick. Okay, I didn't think they needed the receiver, at least needed a receiver that high. I had mocked him uh, with with Penny Hart um, in the in the seventh round a few times, but at the same time, again, we're we're going back to a situation, and this is where the it, it's confusing to me because the, the beginning of this week, there's been a few people, national people, that have kind of come out and criticized Ryan Pace and how he drafts and his philosophy behind what he's doing within the draft and. I think sometimes people need to understand something, and that's that, okay, yes, Ryan Pace has not had very many picks in each draft in terms of average, but the reason that he doesn't have that many picks, draft picks in each one of those is because he's moving around, he's maneuvering, he's trading up. Six out of his nine draft day trades have all been trade-ups, and it's like you look at some of those guys and you look and see what they've done when they've traded up. I mean, Leonard Floyd, Mitch Trubisky. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, they traded up for Eddie Jackson. Eddie Jackson's an all-pro safety. You know, it's just a situation where you have to look at this, and you have to understand that Ryan Pace has done such a good job drafting. I broke this down on Twitter, I think it was yesterday, and basically – you know, look at what he's done in terms of the starters that he's got in each draft, the role players and, 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 and good depth guys that he's got in each draft, and then undrafted free agents that he's got in each draft that have panned out as either starters or whatever it is. And by average, every draft, he's got about six and a half guys. So he's got four drafts. So you say six and a half. So, you know, two times he's got seven legit players. And, and the other time he's got six legit players. I mean, if you're if you're consistently adding that kind of impact, and they don't have to be starters. They can be role players. You need role players. You need depth. If you can add that kind of impact on every single draft class and have that cheap control for three or four years, I mean, that's that's great. And I think that's exactly what they did with Riley Ridley. 
Uh, Ridley was a guy that was supposed to go in either the second or third round. Um, he's not athletically, he's not overly impressive. He's a lot like his brother, Calvin Ridley, who plays for the Falcons, who had a great rookie year. I don't think he's as good as Calvin Ridley is, but he's also one of those guys. He's a precise route runner. He's a guy that's going to go up and win a lot of 50, 50 balls for you. He's technically sound and he's somebody who should translate into the NFL as a good number two or number three receiver. And I think that's kind of the thing here. Okay. Let's look at the receiving core for a second and let's just kind of look into the future. Okay. They have, Allen Robinson, who has two more years left, but he's he's going to be averaging $15 million a year uh, over these next two years uh, of money that he's making. You have a guy in Taylor Gabriel who basically after this year has minimal dead money that you can cut him and you can save a pretty good amount of space. Anthony Miller should be pretty good, but he's somewhat unproven. Um, you got Cordell Patterson that um, you know was kind of a receiver running back mix. He's been kind of a weapon, whatever you want to call it. And you got Javon Wimps, who's unproven as a seventh-round pick, right? So you're in a position right now where maybe receiver doesn't look like a, a, a big need for this team. But at the same time, the more talent that you're able to add. So next year, the Bears are going to have what we just talked about this with the Leonard Floyd thing. The Bears are going to be tied against the cap again. So let's say that they decide that, you know, Taylor Gabriel didn't really produce that much for him or they didn't produce enough to be making seven million dollars going into 2020. And they could save, you know, five and a half, six million of that. They're able to make that move because of adding Riley Ridley. Well, obviously, we'll get to the, the undrafted free agents in a minute, but there's nothing wrong with stacking depth. We see this every year with Ryan Pace where he takes a guy. Leonard Floyd, I, I don't know if many people remember, when he took Leonard Floyd, Willie Young and Lamar Houston were projected as their uh, as their outside linebackers, and I think they had Pernell, Pernell McPhee at that time, too. So you, it didn't look like a need, and not, not a lot of people projected him to start, and he ended up starting. It's the same thing with Roquan Smith. It wasn't a huge need. It wasn't one of those situations where you looked and you thought, well, you know, Nick Wickowski is probably going to be pretty bad. We should probably, you know, we should probably look at drafting a guy like Roquan Smith. They didn't do that. And that's the thing. Every year you can go through and you can highlight positions where Ryan Pace took a guy that maybe didn't appear to be a position of need that has played a big role for him. So I think that's something to keep in mind. Obviously, you know, we've kind of covered these other guys. We'll get into more with the people that we have on coming up. But I think the other big point here to highlight, and maybe we can go over some of these guys real quick, is the undrafted free agents. And the Bears didn't have a lot of picks. We knew that going in. The trade-up cost them their fifth-round pick and a fourth-round pick next year. They ended up getting a sixth-round pick, a late sixth-round pick. It was actually in the comp pick range, and they were able to, uh, to take a corner there as well. But one of the big things that I thought Ryan Pace did a very good job of uh, this draft period, and we highlighted it uh, on our pre-draft podcast in terms of who that who they were meeting up with. And these prospect meetups, whether it was workouts, whether it was guys that they met up with the Senior Bowl, Combine, or the, the top 30 private workouts that they had, they had a lot of guys that were in the back half of the draft that ended up going undrafted. They met with Ridley. They met with Emmanuel Hall. They met with some of these guys that either fell in the draft and they got good value on or that they met um, that they ended up signing as undrafted free agents. And I think that's a big, big thing to keep in mind here is, okay, let's just say that Duke Shelley and Kareth White and uh, Stephen Denmark don't work out as starters. And you get two, you have two solid starters in the way of Ridley and you have, you know, obviously Montgomery as well. But now you're looking at a guy like Alex Bars. You're looking at a guy like Emmanuel Hall, who was a projected second or third round pick. Bars would have been probably a, a third or fourth round pick had he not got hurt. And then you got a guy like Dax Raymond, who almost everybody that I saw had anywhere from the fourth or the fifth round in a very deep tight end class. So all of a sudden you're looking at maybe getting another contributor or two from there, if not a starter. I mean, 
Bryce Callahan and Cam Meredith, I mean, those are, those are the kind of guys I'm talking about. Roy Robertson-Harris, those were all undrafted free agents. So I think that the undrafted free agent part of this entire thing is a big value for Ryan Pace. And I think when you're evaluating this draft class, even on paper, before we see these guys play, I think that has to be taken into account. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, kind of going back to the Ridley thing, one thing I want to touch on. I, I agree because eventually, you know, Taylor Gabriel's not going to be here forever. Um you're going to have to find replacements on this offense at wide receiver. And right now, the future of the wide receiver position is probably looking, you know, Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller, uh, hopefully Riley Ridley, and hopefully Javon Wims. And that's if you do get rid of Taylor Gabriel. They'll have another decision to make on Allen Robinson too. But I agree at that point because Ryan Pace is necessarily going BPA and drafting for the future as well, especially they don't have a first-round pick next year. Um, so you got you got to stack all the talent you can go into the undrafted free agent part i love what ryan pace did those names you brought up alex bars dax raymond um emmanuel hall though i mean those are all players who had draft grades that went undrafted and ryan pace has somehow found a way to at least get them into you know the rookie mini camp and to show what they can do then you look you got guys like an edge rusher like matthew betts out of canada who many people have said is the best player in canada he's going to come in and, and if, if he works out that's more depth at the edge um, you got a lot of offensive linemen, um, a couple offensive guards mixed in with them. You got some defensive linemen, a couple other DBs. Um, you have someone like Clifton Duck or Adoris Pickett from UCLA who could provide some depth. They could be a surprise, um, you know, for defense. And then you have the kickers who we've already gone over. I, I love what uh, Ryan Pace did with the undrafted class. Now, not all those guys I just said are going to make the team. Um, you know, we'll see it. We should see them in training camp, but at least you have. If you can pull out some of those guys and they pan out for you, it, it goes back to the whole Bryce Callahan, Roy Robertson, Harris deal. Ryan Pace has done this before, and now he has a chance to do it again. Um, I also think, though, that is a perfect segue into our first interview, um, kind of going into the draft, because we'll have a lot more to talk about next week with the rookie meeting camp and more draft stuff. But let, how about we get into our first interview? Because we did talk to EJ Snyder of Windy City Gridiron. He's a lead draft analyst over there. He's done a ton of interviews over the past couple of weeks. I've seen his name popped up all over Twitter on podcasts and stuff. Um, Aaron, it was your idea to bring him in, and he was a great interview um, to kind of break down this Bears draft class. Let's get into that. Um, we'll do our first interview with EJ Snyder, um, and then our second interview will be Alex Halstead of Iowa State. Um, he covers them for 24-7 Sports. He gave us a great outlook on um, David Montgomery and, wh and what, can we, what we can expect. So let's get into our two interviews, and we'll be back after. And now we welcome on to the Bearport Podcast, a special guest to help us break down the Chicago Bears 2019 draft class. Uh, welcome in EJ Snyder, the lead draft analyst from Windy City Gridiron. EJ, thanks, man, for joining us. I know you've had a busy schedule with all these uh, podcast interviews about the draft, but uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us tonight. Hey, man, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's a lot of fun talking about the draft. You put in so much work, and then uh, when the goodies finally get delivered, it's good to go over them. Yeah, so being you know a draft analyst, what's this process kind of like now that the draft's over? Are you kind of uh, relieved, or are you just kind of working towards uh, 2020 now? Uh, I do take a break from 2020, but now my work really pivots to the folks the Bears brought in. Uh, both in draft and UDFA. Um, Aaron's followed my work for a while, so he knows that I'm a UDFA uh, fanatic, I guess is a fair, a fair thing to say. And I'll be digging into those folks and seeing who I think has a legitimate shot to either stick on the practice squad or maybe even sneak onto the 53, although this is a pretty talented team. 
and seeing how the draft class really fits in terms of scheme and potential and doing a lot of work there. So that's that's the next couple of months. Well, as most of you know, I mean, obviously I write for Bear Report. I also write for Windy City Gridiron. So I got two two good colleagues here. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what, man. EJ puts a lot of work into this. Does a great job, and and I'm right there with you, man. I mean, I, I it, as much as as much fun as the draft is. I mean, the the undrafted free agent process is also fun, especially this year. I mean, obviously we know they didn't have very many picks, and we're going to kind of get into breaking that. So that's always fun. So. I'm kind of curious, just, I guess we'll just dive right into it here. Who was your favorite pick? I mean, it, obviously they had a third, fourth round pick and then didn't pick again until the sixth. So this is probably going to be a little bit skewed, but who was your, who was your favorite pick and why? Oh, that's a great question. Um, mm, that's really interesting because I've got thoughts on Montgomery and I think he's going to be a very good player, but I had a question about how he was acquired and those are two separate things. And I think a lot of times people get it twisted. If you say, you know, maybe, Hey, we gave up too much for a certain position. They think you don't like the player and that's not true at all. So um, in terms of picks, uh, I really like the seventh round. Now I don't think they're going to have the greatest impact, but there are two guys that I talked about Kareth white and Steven Denmark and to have hit again on some seventh round picks last year, I picked Javon Wims as well. So, that felt pretty good. Those are interesting guys. They're not going to have the same impact that a David Montgomery or a Calvin Ridley is going to have. Um, but just in terms of, you know, favorites, probably the Steven Denmark pick. We were actually live recording our Bears Over Beers sort of quick reaction podcast during the seventh when he got picked, and it was really fun to have that reaction on tape. I kind of want to go back into Montgomery because, you know, he was the first pick for the Bears in this draft. Um, third round, they did move up to get him. Shouldn't have shocked anyone. What do you see right away in Montgomery, and do you think he'll be able to contribute right away, or is it going to be more of a running back by committee and no one kind of take over the starting job? I think they're going to be committee no matter what, but in to regard to your question of whether he's going to contribute right away, he absolutely will. He's a very talented player. I like David Montgomery. We did a couple of uh, podcasts on running backs, specifically on Bears over Beers, because everybody knew the Bears were going to pick a running back. And we didn't even really look at Montgomery because we assumed he was going to be off the board. He was the second or third round running back on my board. And I didn't think the Bears had a shot at him. So in a little bit of a weird draft year where there was no first round pick, no second round pick, getting him in the third round is a great value and he's definitely going to contribute right off the bat running behind that bears line, running that inside zone, quick agility, the ability to make guys miss run with power. He's an incredible worker in terms of his work ethic, both physically and mentally with film and picking up the playbook. He's absolutely going to contribute this year for the bears. Well, and, and I think you bring up a good point, especially when you're talking earlier about Montgomery. I think there's two ways to kind of look at this pick, right? Obviously, they needed a running back. Um, I like the fact that they went with a running back. I, I was in the same boat as you. I had I had four running backs that I had second-round grades on or simply grades that I didn't think the Bears would be able to grab. And one of those was Montgomery. Obviously, Henderson, Sanders, and Josh Jacobs were in that as well. But I think it's also 100% fair, Mikey pointed out, that you can like the pick and you can like the value of the pick, but you don't have to like the trade. And I, I feel like we're kind of in the same boat there because I wasn't a big fan of the trade and it's not so much that he traded up. It's more of what he gave up in terms of value. So, I mean, where do you stand on that in terms of what they gave up and, and, and your overall feelings on the trade itself? 
Sure. It's a great question. And it's one of the things that makes the draft the most fun for me and a lot of people that watch it is the question of value, the question of fit. Again, I really like Montgomery as a player. He's very talented. He's a very good get in the third round. I think he's got some limitations, but they're very small. His biggest limitation is probably long speed. But the thing is, running back, there were a ton of backs that could contribute. And the bottom line is, if you can get 80% or 85% of David Montgomery, and you can do so by staying put in the third or maybe even waiting until the fourth, there are guys in the fourth round that I think could be 80 or 85% of David Montgomery. Running back's been devalued in the NFL, and it's, frankly, the most replaceable position. You can get guys in the fifth, the sixth. Even down in the UDFA ranks, we've seen it every year. A UDFA comes in and contributes in the right situation. Last year, it was Philip Lindsay in Denver. You can get running backs later. You don't need to spend draft capital to go get them. Now, are they going to be as talented as Montgomery or well-rounded? No, but you've already got some guys in the backfield in Chicago that are going to contribute, so you didn't need an A number one star, right? I think you probably got a guy that's pretty close to that or at least as close as you were going to get in this draft. But did you need to? Did you need to give up the things? And, you know, look, Pace and Nagy thought they did. And Pace, once he's identified his guy, he's going to go get him. That's his M.O., and he did it again. And I'm not going to second-guess him because I think Montgomery is going to be productive. But, yeah, the pick he gave up next year does sting a little bit. I kind of want to stay in the running back situation here because I was one of the people that believed, yeah, I think the Bears are going to take two running backs in this draft. Um I, you know, early in the process, I thought, okay, they're taking one in the third round for sure. And then on, and Aaron can attest to this. I was convinced they were going to go tight end or defensive back in the third round, go running back in the fourth round, and then maybe take a flyer on a guy in the seventh. The guy I wanted to take a flyer on was Bryce Love. He was obviously gone before that. I believe he went in the fifth round. Um, mm-hmm. But the Bears did end up with another running back in the seventh round in Kareth White. When you watch FA, FAU, you know about Devin Singletary. But if you also watch those highlights – Kareth White is a burner. What role do you see him playing? Do you think he's going to be more of a return man if he does make the team, or will they kind of just stash him on the practice squad possibly, or maybe just kind of rotate him in a couple carries a game like we saw with um, Taquan Mazel? Yeah, White's a very interesting story. I got turned on to him actually by a Twitter follower uh, about five or six weeks ago, and he said, have you seen Kareth White? And I'd already watched Singletary. I didn't even really know Kareth White was draft eligible. So I went back and watched his tape and yeah, your eyes pop when he takes off that four, three, six speed is really evident when the pads on. And then to back that up, the piece you kind of go back and find out is he's not small. He's 200 pounds. Um, He can bring a load. Now his running back game is a little underdeveloped. So his path to the roster is probably on special teams because that's what you're looking for in late round picks. Guys that can, can contribute on special teams, have that athleticism, can contribute early on special teams because of it. I think that's probably his path to the 53 if he makes it. But if this guy gets stashed and nobody picks him up, he could develop. His instincts are a little underdeveloped. His vision needs a little bit of work. But his burst, his physicality, his contact balance is outstanding. He's got a really good sense of how to keep his feet. And if he gets through the hole, you're not going to catch him. He's legit 4-3-6 speed. So, if he makes the roster this year, I think it's on special teams. Down the road, could he be sort of that gadget player that gets selected carries or has plays like jet sweeps built in for him? You know Nagy loves to do those things. and It's just one more piece he can bring to the puzzle that says, look, we're really fast and we're going to put pressure on your defense with speed. See, and I'm, I'm with you on why because I, I actually started watching him. Oh, man, probably 
probably about the same time you did. And it was one of those situations where you're just kind of going through running backs and you're kind of looking and saying, okay, well, obviously you got your frontline guys, you got, you know, and then you're kind of looking for maybe those value picks later on in the draft. And I think that's exactly what they got because at least with me, when I'm, when I'm watching Wyatt, I see a guy that's extremely fast, but I don't really see somebody who's overly dynamic as a runner, like you pointed out. I mean, he's not really as in terms of lateral agility, uh, in terms of what he can do to make guys miss. He's, He's not really going to do any of that. But one of the things that kind of stood out to me, and I'm kind of curious to get your uh, perspective on this, is I think if they are going to use him, whether it's this year or down the line, assuming that he makes a team or stays under team control, is I feel like the, his strength at the NFL level outside of being a return man, outside of special teams and outside of some of these gadget plays, when he runs the ball, I feel like he's going to be much better as an outside zone runner where he can kind of let things develop because, like you said, he is underdeveloped let things develop in front of him and then shoot and use that speed. I mean, is that a, is that a fair evaluation? For right now it is until he develops a little bit more patience because it's, it's one thing with fast guys who are a little bit underdeveloped as runners is they want to use their speed and they want to use it right away. So they don't hesitate. They won't wait. They won't juke a little bit in the hole, wait for a, a block to open up. They just want to go and they want to go right now. And yeah, that definitely lends itself to a more wide open outside attack where he can see the hole, maybe make one good cut to attack it and then really use that speed and explode past people. That's going to be his game. And it's, it couldn't be more different than somebody like Montgomery who is much more between the tackles guy. That's where he's going to make his bread and butter. He's going to make people miss. He's going to hesitate. He's going to get skinny through those holes. White doesn't really have any of those skills, but boy, if you put white speed with Montgomery's skills, you'd have, you'd have a top five overall running back. You'd have a, you'd have an absolute beast. If only we could do that. That'd be uh that'd be pretty ideal going over the defensive side of the football here. Um, the bears first pick on defense was in the sixth round. They took Duke Shealy out of um, Kansas state. Now he's interesting to me because I'm not really sold on Buster screen just yet. Um, he is five foot nine. I believe he's like 180 pounds and he was hurt for most or half of last season with Kansas state. But this is a kid who had a scholarship offer from Clemson. He has talent, plenty of talent to me. Look at the tape. He's very scrappy. What have you seen um, on his tape? And did you do any work on him leading up to the draft? Uh, I did not. I am more than happy to admit I had not seen a single snap focused on Duke Shelley. Uh, I'd seen him play because I'd watched Daniel Wise, the Kansas State defensive tackle. So he was he was there. But like you said, he was either injured in some of those games. And when I focus on a guy, I really tend to focus on a guy. So I hadn't seen any Shelley-focused snaps. Since then, I've gone back. I actually put a thread up on Twitter about him last night. Went back to his tape, and this is a classic sort of pace road warrior win where you go to a conference not known for defense, the Big 12. You pick a guy who is physical, a little bit undersized, was playing very well before he got hurt. He had like nine pass breakups, three picks. He was producing, and he's producing on the outside. Kansas State played him exclusively on the outside, and they always gave him either the outside guy or the guy going deep. And in the Big 12, they run a lot of stack stuff, and they're going to put the cornerback who they think is best on the guy that either goes deep or stays on the outside, and they always put Shelley on that guy. So he's a guy they had a lot of confidence in, but he's got tremendous burst, click and close is what analysts call it, that ability to stop backward momentum, get forward, contest the catch. Like you said, he's very physical. You'll see guys come around on that jet sweep or wide zone play. He will absolutely stick his nose in there and stick people. 
Now, they say the toe injury was, you know, not significant or shouldn't be a carryover. I'm always worried about guys at speed positions with toe, foot, ankle injuries. But, you know, they think he's going to clean up. And, look, they got him late in the sixth round. If you get a guy that can contribute at a premium position like corner or even slot, probably move to slot for the Bears, in the sixth round, and that guy's got the skills that Shelley's got, uh, you did pretty good. Well, and I think that's that's kind of the thing here. I think – it's funny because some of the draft publications, and admittedly, I was right there with you. I was, they picked Duke Shelley. I'm an Oklahoma fan. I watch Big 12 football all the time. But again, you, when you're watching Big 12 football, you're not watching defense. I mean, there's just there's nothing really there on defense to watch. But so it kind of caught me a little off guard. And 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 one of the things that kind of stood out to me with him was, I mean, he dude, he's small, but he's scrappy. But the other corner I want to get to before we kind of dive into my favorite portion, which would be the undrafted part of this entire draft. Uh, I, you were very vocal about Steven Denmark. Admittedly, again, knew nothing about this guy. I mean, it's it was one of those situations where I just got way too busy and kind of dove into the surface of the draft, <clears throat> never got really too heavy into it. But I'd, I'd kind of like to get your perspective on why you like Denmark so much, and if you're remotely concerned at all with the fact that he's only been playing corner for a short time after transitioning to receiver? Yeah, so two separate questions. The reason I love Denmark, and when you go down towards the late round picks, all these guys, Shelley, White, Denmark, you're looking for traits, and the farther down you go, the more you're willing to gamble on raw athleticism. And Denmark's got that in spades. He's six two and a half, two hundred and twenty 220 pounds. He ran a four four six, And that absolutely shows up on tape. He is ridiculously fast. So level of competition at Valdosta State, not great. That's always going to be a concern. But when you're watching that sort of lower level tape, what you want to see is somebody that absolutely dominates their position. And Denmark did that easily. His tape was... His tape made me laugh out loud. Here's this guy that's, you know, almost 6'3", fully 220 pounds, playing corner. They never played him at safety. A lot of publications had him listed at safety, but he was a straight corner at Valdosta State. And he was just wrecking guys. He was smothering tight ends, just destroying little receivers. Folks would run by him. He'd catch up, just ragdoll him. Very, very physical player who's – Dead fast on tape. Every bit of that 446 shows up on tape. So when you've got a guy with that kind of size, speed, height, weight, and ability, you think, all right, I can work with that. Those are raw tools. At worst, you're going to put this guy as a special teams gunner, and he's going to go down and wreak havoc. Um, at best, you develop a guy that could play outside boundary corner as a backup, or maybe he moves to that strong safety role. And when you think about it, he's Roquan Smith's weight coming into the league and just as fast, but he happens to be a lot taller. He's a, a full inch taller than Roquan. So you could have that kind of dimebacker role out of this guy. Again, depends on how Pagano likes to use him, but we know Pagano is a defensive backs coach and he likes to be really aggressive. He's got to be salivating over Denmark. Uh, going into that undrafted free agents that um, Aaron was talking about, how the hell did Ryan Pace get this good of a class for undrafted free agents? I mean, I know not all of them are going to make the team, and it, it, it's a long shot for a lot of them. But you look, this is pretty stacked list of names. Um, you know, right off the top, Alex Bars mm-hmm. out of Notre Dame. Um, who else? They had uh, Emmanuel Hall out of Missouri. Dax had, Raymond. Yeah, Dax Raymond, uh, the kid from UCLA. How the hell did this happen? 
that's a great point. I brought it up a couple of days ago on Twitter, and the point is that Pace started it. He got this ball rolling when he came to Chicago, and adding Coach Nagy really finished it. The whole club dub thing gets kind of blown up, but Nagy is a coach that players want to play for, and they got results, right? For the first time in a while, they went out, and they took it to people. Everybody knows where the Bears are going, and that's up. And for years, the Bears have scratched and clawed and tried their best in the UDFA market. And look, as a UDFA sort of lover of that process, it's been a little tough to watch. Nobody wanted to come to town when John Fox was there. Now, it's completely different. They open the doors, and within about four hours, they've got probably five or six guys that are priority UDFAs that say, yep, I'll sign on the dotted line. Where do I go? And that is crazy different. And because of that, you really have to take the UDFA hall in to account for what they got in the draft. They had limited draft picks, but they got four guys that could have been drafted really easily and, and on many boards would have been. And then you stick in guys like Matthew Betts, the guy from Laval up in Canada. I don't know if you guys have watched his tape yet, but I got into his tape last night and I was literally laughing out loud at my computer. It's ridiculous. My, my podcast co-host, Jeff Burke, said it looks like he's rushing against fence posts. Um, he, he said, did this guy have 150 sacks in Canada? I said, I don't know, but he, he certainly could. So all this talent flowing in, I mean, I think Alex Bars, once he gets healthy, could absolutely challenge to be the starting guard in 20, 2020. Dax Raymond was a guy I had at sixth overall in this draft at tight end. Uh, he should have definitely been drafted. And, you know, he wasn't. And here he is. I think he could be tight end number two on this roster. No problem. Uh, Emmanuel Hall, huge guy. 6'2", 201 out of Missouri with legit 4'3 speed. Uh, nasty, nasty releases. That's a guy that, you know, people had in the fourth and fifth round. So to bring all this talent in after the draft ends, is a huge win and a real credit to the culture that Nagy and Pace have created. I absolutely agree. And I think, I, I definitely think it was one of those situations where they're either going to be really attractive this year for undrafted free agents or they weren't because then they have a lot of roster spots. But I mean, a guy like Emmanuel Hall looks at this, you know, this, the depth chart at receiver. And I mean, there's no easy way for him to get in the door and, and actually win a job. I mean, I think he, and he will, but I mean, it just, again, it, to your point, it speaks to what Ryan Pace has built and what Na Matt Nagy's building. So I guess the last question I got for you here is, you know, draft grades are always kind of one of those knee-jerk reactions, all that fun stuff. But I think at the same time, it also kind of gives maybe fans that haven't put as much work into the draft as somebody like yourself uh, some perspective on just how well the Bears did, whether you're factoring in the Khalil Mack trade, whether you're factoring in Anthony Miller from last year, whether you're factoring in uh, you know, the undrafted free agent hall as well, which it sounds like you will. I mean, if, if you had to give this draft class a letter grade uh, or you know, a percentage or something like that, where would you put this class at knowing what we know with the lack of picks, you know, everything that's happened and the undrafted free agents? Yeah, if you roll it all together and you take Mac and Miller, who we basically just got a year early, and you roll in this this huge haul at UDFA, this draft is, I would say, easily A minus, no problem. There's just so many guys that could hit. Now, if you look just at the picks, if you if you don't factor in Mac and Miller and you don't factor in the UDFAs, 
a lot of those guys are going to have to hit. Montgomery is really going to be the sort of highlight of this draft. If he comes off and he's a great Bears player for the next eight years and racks up a thousand yards all the time and sort of leads the backfield, this draft will be a success. The bottom line is 30% of draft picks hit. Pace didn't have that many picks. If he gets anything out of those later out picks, if Ridley turns out to be a, a sneaky addition as a second or third receiver and lasts for, again, five or eight years, it's, it's a great draft if Montgomery and Ridley hit. But when you add in all those things around the edges, especially Mack and Miller, I mean, anything you throw Mack into has got to have an A grade because it completely changed the franchise. But I think a lot of these guys on the EDFA list have a chance to make the 53. And if they don't make the 53, the practice squad is going to be extremely stacked. Like you said, they don't have a ton of roster spots open right now or in question. A guy like Emmanuel Hall has to play up to his potential. I think he can, but if he doesn't and he gets stashed on the practice squad, you're stashing fourth rounders on the practice squad. That's That speaks to how much talent you have in the organization. So if you factor in all three of those factors, I'd say it's an easy A minus grade. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on the whole, you have to include uh, Cleo Mack and Anthony Miller in there because, I mean, that's crazy that they still got Cleo Mack. I'm still kind of... Uh, buzzing over that but ej thank you very much for joining us um where can everyone follow you on twitter at uh so my twitter handle is at the draftsman fb as in football and they can see my work on windy city gridiron or listen to me on the bears over beers podcast which is on the windy city gridiron podcast network but those are the three places you'll find most of my work awesome thanks again for joining us we'll have to uh have you on again soon kind of break down maybe uh this draft class as we get into training camp and then maybe a little 2020. Absolutely. I'd be happy to do it. That'd be fantastic guys. This is the overtime podcast network. And joining us now here on the bear report podcast is Alex Halstead who covers Iowa state for uh 24 seven sports. He's here to kind of give us an insight on um, third bears, third round pick running back, David Montgomery, Alex, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm hoping I can provide something on Montgomery. It's been interesting. I think I saw some stuff pre-draft that he might fall to the Bears, and then it actually happened. I don't know how often that comes true. Yeah, we were kind of looking uh, leading up into the draft, and we've talked to some people, and they said that uh, Montgomery was their second or third best running back on the board for them. So uh, they weren't shocked when the Bears took him in the third round. You know, covering Iowa State with Montgomery, what did what did you what were your expectations going into the draft? Did you think he might fall? Did you think he kind of should have been drafted higher? He kind of fell about where I think uh, I kind of expected, just based on I was on different conference calls with, you know, Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL Network, and try to get their thoughts on Montgomery. Really, since the combine, you know, being at the combine to now, and uh, it always seemed like they thought second or third round, just. More so because they all kind of had him right around that, like you said, two to five range, you know, in with the running backs. And, um, you know, after Josh Jacobs, he could be kind of anywhere. And the the biggest thing with them, obviously, with running backs now is you don't see many taken in the first round anymore. And so that kind of was really what left up in the air. Where was Montgomery going to fall? And then you, know, you see the Bears have to trade up to get him. And I think he ends up going number three in terms of the third running back off the board. So he kind of fit where everybody projected. And so. Wasn't too shocked where he went, and I think, you know, the biggest thing for him is it kind of seems like a good fit for him, and Matt Nagy's offense, especially, I think, you know, it's probably been talked about a little bit in Chicago, the connection with Matt Campbell coached uh, Kareem Hunt at Toledo, who then went to the Chiefs under Nagy when he was offensive coordinator there in 2017, and 
you know, really since Montgomery arrived at Iowa State, he's drawn a lot of comparisons to Kareem Hunt. And so that's been an interesting connection to see there now with uh, Nagy and the Bears. Well, I'm glad that you're bringing up the Kareem Hunt thing, because I think going through the draft process for a lot of Bears fans, it was one of those situations where we watched Jordan Howard last year and Matt Nagy's offense. First two years under John Fox looked great. Last year looked slow. He looked out of place. And I think a lot of fans were expecting somebody with more speed, whether that was Miles Sanders, whether that was Darrell Henderson. I mean, <clears throat> Justice Hill. I mean, just just that kind of fit of a guy that was a, just had that home run speed. And I think there were some fans that were a little surprised when they took a guy like David Montgomery because the first thing that a lot of fans look at when they go and they start looking into running dra- uh, running back prospects in the draft is they're going to look at their 40 time. And Montgomery didn't really have an impressive 40 time. But I'm kind of curious to get your perspective because I'm an Oklahoma fan. So I've seen a lot of David Montgomery. And sometimes how I judge draft prospects, especially when they're playing against Oklahoma, is if I dislike the guy, then there's probably, you know, that's, that probably means he's pretty good. And that was how I felt with David Montgomery. But I kind of want to get your breakdown on, you know, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but what exactly is he going to bring to the Bears? Yeah, that's the biggest thing with him is he's not he's not going to be this burner. And I think going back to the Kareem Hunt thing, I think Kareem Hunt at, at the NFL Combine ran like a 4.65 or 4.66, and then Montgomery goes there and he runs a 4.63, and that that kind of aided those comparisons. Uh, he did improve on his 40 time at Iowa State's Pro Day, ran a 4.58, uh, but that's just kind of the range he's in and the type of player he is. I think his biggest thing is more so agility, his ability to make cuts, especially in the hole. I mean, the big talking point you know, at Iowa State the last two years has been his ability to, ability to break tackles. Uh, you look at his sophomore season in 2017, and uh, he broke 109 tackles, according to Pro Football Focus, which was their all-time record. Admittedly, only goes back to 2014, but since they started tracking it, he, he's had the most. And then last year, forced another 100 missed tackles. And that's a pro end account. I think the, the pro of it is that he's, he is really good at eluding defenders and, um, and cutting in the hole. And his agility is the, probably the biggest asset to his game, more so than breakaway speed. The the con of it was that there's a reason he had to break so many tackles, and part of that was Iowa State's offensive line. It's still been a, a work in progress under new head coach Matt Campbell. He's three seasons in, but still building that offensive line. And I think that was probably one of the things that maybe didn't get talked enough talked about enough with Montgomery is, you know, he rushed for a thousand yards in back-to-back seasons, and not behind great offensive line play all the time. So, you know, I think that's one thing that'll be interesting is now he goes to, you know, not only the NFL and playing behind obviously good offensive linemen, but you know, one of the probably the better offensive lines, I think you guys would know better, but, you know, in the NFL. So I just think it's going to be interesting to see what he can do behind uh, a good offensive line, because that was kind of the biggest thing lacking for him at times at Iowa State. Yeah, I've watched some tape on uh, David Montgomery over the past couple of days here to kind of get a feel. And I, I agree. I mean, the one thing I see right away is it usually takes two guys to bring him down. He's tough to bring down. And then when he was stuffed behind the line of scrimmage or short gains, it was mainly because the offensive line was getting no push. The one thing I didn't really see on any of the highlights, there was very little of them, his pass catching abilities. In Chicago, Matt Nagy wants a running back who can catch the ball out of the backfield. We do have Tariq Cohen. Um, but, you know, to kind of be a starting running back here in Chicago, you, you got to catch the football out of the backfield. What can you tell us about his pass catching abilities? Yeah, that was always something that he graded out really well uh, in his, his pass catching. And for whatever reason, during his junior year this last year, I would say kind of went away from it because um, during his sophomore season, you know, he caught 36 passes, I think was targeted more than 40 times. And then this last year, just 22 receptions. And 
Um, I we never really got a full answer on kind of why they went away from him in the passing game a little bit. Um, you know, he dealt with a shoulder injury a little bit last year. Uh, it, something that happened um, in the first game of the year. I think the first series of the year, it was a game that got canceled, but it lingered with him for a while before he did end up missing a game, I think, in October. And they just sat him out to, to let his shoulder rest. And so I always kind of had suspicions that they went away from him in the passing game and fewer routes because uh, maybe that shoulder injury. Uh, but he did show an ability more so his sophomore season back in 2017 of catching the ball when he had, you know, 36 catches. And he would do things more so than just go out in the flat. I think there were times that you know, I can remember some times where they, you know, had him do routes across the middle um, and things like that. And so I think he's certainly capable of of catching the ball. They always talked about how how great his hands were, uh, particularly because he was a quarterback in high school and and that kind of translated a little bit. So that was one thing I think he got good grades with at Iowa state was, you know, obviously he's a running back. He can run the ball, but you know, for the most part, he, he could catch the ball in the backfield. And then I think the thing that, you know, Iowa state thought made him a, an every down back. And, you know, I think the grades matched up at least from pro football focus, whereas he was one of the better pass blockers. And so I think that's one of the things that allowed Iowa state to keep him on the field um, every down. And kind of getting away a little bit from the, on the field and what he's done and, and, and the production one of the big things that the Bears have really stressed, uh, especially under Ryan Pace, has been how are these guys off the field? How are they in the locker room? Uh, you know, and, and leadership skills has been a big thing for Ryan Pace. So I, I obviously you've been in the locker room. You've been, you know, you, you've seen him outside of the football field. Uh, what kind of guy are the Bears getting in, in David Montgomery? Yeah, you know, Montgomery's interesting, I guess, is probably the best way to put it. I th- it wasn't that he, I don't think he ever disliked the media, but he didn't, he didn't love necessarily doing interviews all the time. He would talk to the media. He'd talk after games. He would do all this stuff required of him, but it wasn't like something like he wanted to be in front of this, in front of the cameras. You don't see him a ton on social media. I think he actually just changed his profile picture for the first time since he got, got to Iowa state. And so he's kind of more of a behind the scenes guy. He's not someone that is really, you know, out there and really loves attention. And, the biggest thing at Iowa State and Matt Campbell would talk about a lot is, you know, when Campbell got to Iowa State, they'd, you know, the three previous years, they'd won eight games total in three years. You know, they were on a on a downturn and and struggling. And Montgomery was in that first recruiting class. One of the final commits of that first recruiting class was very highly under recruited. And, uh, you know, in that first year, I think, you know, after his first year, so going into his sophomore season, you know, that was kind of, they, they'd only won three games that first year. And Campbell said that, you know, he went to the facility, I think, one January night. And so it's off. It's the off season. You know, the the season had been over and he saw the lights on in the in the facility, in the you know indoor practice field. And you know, he thought it was weird. I think it was a Friday night in January, like past nine o'clock. And he went and looked in there and it was Montgomery, you know, working out. And he, and he said slowly, you know, other guys started to join him. And, you know, Campbell likes to use that story because probably because it it kind of jives with the 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 uptick in the program because in that next year they go to a bowl game and then, you know, now two straight bowl games. And so I think they credit Montgomery a lot with changing around the culture because there wasn't a whole lot of that going on where players were in the facilities on their own when they didn't have to be, especially in January or February on a Friday night. So uh, I think I saw some of the comments from um, Nagy and Pace and, you know, they talked about some of the stories coming out of Iowa state. That's kind of the big story that you hear with Montgomery and, uh, he really is. A, he really is just football. I mean, he likes football, and I think he says he plays Fortnite. So, you know, he spends a lot of time, you know, at the facilities. That's where he was a lot of times in Ames. 
he's going to fit in well with um, a lot of the Bears players. Being in that locker room, I can tell you a lot of them love to play video games. They kind of have the attitude like let's work hard and but you know have our own fun on our own time. Uh, you know, kind of my final question for you before we kind of wrap this up. What overall, where do you see Montgomery's uh, future in the NFL go? And do you see a guy that maybe can stay with the Bears for more than one contract, or how do you kind of see it all playing out? Well, just from the outside looking in, it seemed like he he found the per- perfect position, your perfect spot, you know, for him because I think he fits that offense, and I think you know. Uh, between Davis and Cohen, it seems like they, they now have three different types of backs where he is going to get an opportunity early. I mean, like I, I think said before, you guys know the team better than I do, but, you know, depth chart wise, it seems like he's going to get an opportunity. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that goes into the league um, with not a ton of ton of carries on the spot. I know that's an often talked about thing anymore. I think he, he had 256 carries I mean 257 or something like that the last two years. Um, so he was used a lot, but I don't, but I don't think he's worn down by any means. And I think that's probably a, a big reason he left early was to probably to make sure that, you know, he kept some tread on the tires, so to speak, with a, with a running back in the league and was still a younger guy. So I think he goes into in, into a good situation. And now I'm interested to see how they use him because, like you said, you know, it, that that offense is so dynamic that it's going to be more so than just him running the ball or getting 20 carries a game. I, I think they're going to use all three of those guys and then you know, it'd be interesting to see how his pass catching evolves. But I think if they use him in that way, he could be successful. And uh, it's going to be interesting because it's, he could be kind of the, the Iowa State's first big star, I guess, you know, big player, I guess, in quite some time. Thank you very much, Alex. That was some great insight on uh, David Montgomery there. Where can everyone follow you on Twitter? Oh, it's at Alex Halstead. So it's just uh, my name, A-L-E-X and then H-A-L-S-T-E-D. And then you can read his work on uh, 24-7 Sports. He does cover Iowa State. Uh, we'll have to have you on again during the season, kind of check in, see how Montgomery's doing. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I actually grew up a Bears fan, so uh, Iowa's kind of weird. It's Chiefs, Bears, Packers, Vikings. It's kind of oh, it's split, like a mix. But, yeah, but there's a lot of people here that are Bears fans, so I think a lot of people were excited to see that pick. Awesome. Thanks again for joining us, man. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. And welcome back into the Bear Report podcast. You just heard from EJ Snyder, lead draft analyst of Windy City Gridiron, and Alex Halstead, who covers um, the Iowa Cyclones for 24-7 Sports. Some great insight on this draft that just happened for the Chicago Bears. Um, while it's still early to grade and do anything about the draft, it, I, I feel good about the Bears draft. And now we'll get our first look at this rookie class this weekend at Hallis Hall um, for rookie minicamp. It's kind of the first stage of this off-season workouts and practices. Um, Aaron, I'm going to tell you, when I go there this week on Friday, I'm going to be looking at a couple things. I'm going to be interested to see where they play Steven Denmark. Um, obviously, he's going to be a defensive back, but I wonder if they'll transition him over to safety or if they'll keep him as a cornerback. Also, the other thing is, will Duke Sheely compete for that starting nickel job right away? I think they're going to kind of work him in the nickel despite him being um, on the outside at Kansas State. The other thing, you know, Montgomery, we're probably, you know, we're not going to see a lot from him during the rookie minicamp just because, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to evaluate running backs during these minicamps. I think we'll have to wait till training camp. The other thing, man, kicker position. I cannot wait to see that kicker position, although I do think it's very hard to, you know, simulate what goes on in a real NFL game, especially in practice. But to do in a kicker competition, I'm just kind of really excited. 
It's going to be interesting. I mean, there's, there's definitely some. I mean, they, they signed or they haven't officially, as we're recording this, even though Ryan Pace has already confirmed, they signed 21 guys. I mean, they had they signed 21 guys. I've got a uh, visit tracker out right now. Or not visit tracker, sorry, a UDFA tracker. And I, I've got 23 tryouts. So 44 players total. Obviously, there's going to be more. Um, I think just what they do with their DBs that they drafted, with some of these guys that they signed as undrafted free agents. I mean, Duke Shelley's a guy that played outside. Okay, he's going to play inside. He's 5'8". I mean, he's, he's not going to be an outside guy. The, the one thing I'm actually curious to see is, you know, he, he could be a piece for them because he's so aggressive and because he's so – He's so aggressive in coverage, especially. I mean, he's somebody that could play um, in, in dime packages, and we could see him split out a little bit of time at safety. I mean, it's worth noting that when they interviewed the scout that actually found him, the scout was talking and basically said that they see kind of a Nickel Roby Coleman um, type player in him, and Roby Coleman's kind of another you know versatile piece. And then, but obviously, I think I think really what this comes down to, and my biggest focus is going to be the kicker position because, like you pointed out, they signed John Barron, uh, who's a you know kicker out of San Diego State, but they also have three other guys that they're going to be having in uh, within you know you know on tryouts, and they got a guy in Emmett Carpenter out of Minnesota. Alex Kajelston uh, out of McNeese, and then they also have uh, Casey Bednarski as well. Bednarski's video has been going around. He made like a 70-yard field goal um, a few years back. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those situations where now we're finally going to get to see how these kickers are going to pan out. They got four guys on a contract. They have another three that they brought in. Clearly, uh, they're going to keep throwing caution at the wind, and they're going to keep throwing these guys out there and, and get to see. I mean, you're it, it, Yes, it's three days worth of a mini camp. Realistically, these guys aren't going to kick every single day because it's kind of like pitching. It's just not going to happen. You, you just don't do that. So it's going to be interesting to see how they break those up. But this is going to be the first time that we see this competition actually start to move and, and see, you know, who really are the front runners. There's been a lot of hype around Chris Blewett. Is he really going to be the guy that they think he's going to be? You know, what about some of these undrafted free agents? I mean, that's been kind of more of a traditional way of finding a kicker versus – um, signing guys that maybe didn't make it in the NFL, you know, as undrafted uh, undrafted free agents and have sat out a year or two. So their approach should pay off. But I'm very curious to see one how they put pressure on these guys, and two how how are they going to respond and and how are they going to weed out this competition? Because yeah, they're probably gonna they're gonna go with four guys over the next month or so. But when they break and go to training camp. There's a very good chance that they're probably only going to have two, maybe three guys. I would guess two, and I think they're going to they're, they're going to pick their best two. But who are those guys going to be, and how are they going to get there? So those are really the ones that you know the, the things I'm going to be looking for. I, I guess waiting for your word to you know hear what what's going on at minicamp. But it should be a fun weekend. Yeah, it's almost like um like process of elimination and this is like the first step for the bears with their kicking competition um we'll see what they what what the move is after this weekend what they do with the kicker competition um if there's anyone that actually stood out to them because it it very well could be that they none of these guys make it to training camp um that are undrafted or brought on on you know the rookie contracts um following the draft so yeah we'll have plenty of rookie minicamp coverage on the site we'll have it on the podcast next week uh we'll kind of break things down and then after that man it'll be more uh otas and then we'll get ready for training camp so we kind of got a busy schedule coming up in may uh before the kind of the dead period in june and then or 
late June and early July. So thanks again, Aaron, for joining me. Um, where can everyone find you on Twitter at? Yeah, you can find me at Aaron Lemming NFL. You can read his work on the Bear Report. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Zach underscore Pearson. And you can find my work on the Bear Report. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode covering all things Rookie Minicamp. Well, until then, we'll talk to you guys later. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.